Welcome, Internet, to the Pixel Play Podcast, your weekly gaming podcast where we briefly go over the key stories, news, rumors, and discussions going on in the video game space. I'm one of your hosts, Kalen, aka Catastrophe, joined as always by my co-host, Adam, CS Radical. We release weekly episodes every Wednesday. You can find us on most major podcast streaming platforms, and you can see our handsome faces on YouTube. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, like, leave a comment, or review, however you want to show us some love. If you want to connect with us, we are on social media on Twitter and Instagram at PixelPlayCast, and you can email us at PixelPlayPodcast at gmail.com. Enough of that, let's jump right into it. Adam, how are you doing this week? I don't know. Okay, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, should I be concerned? Uh... It's it's strange because like I had this thought just before the show started. I was like, man, V3 was a week ago. Oh my god, yeah, I know, right? It feels so weird. And I don't remember much. There wasn't much to remember to be honest. I think that that tells me everything cuz like you know when you get a feeling on like how well you actually enjoyed something by how much you remember it like at least a week after you've had the moment. And now mm-hmm. I'm sitting here being like Sony didn't do anything, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i, I kind of feel the same way i i feel like i mean it was good like there were some highlights I, like i felt like i mean you, everyone knows what our thoughts were from last week but i mean it wasn't a complete bomb but it was disappointing in the sense of e3 as a whole and I, i'm kind of waiting for sony to do that and we'll be talking about that today so this week we're going to be talking about psx coming back does it live speaking of things that are dead is dead space really dead And we're going to be talking about some of the games that came out of E3 and what seems to have caught people's attention in terms of pre-orders. Adam, do you want to just jump into it? I will say the one good thing that came out of E3, like I said when we talked about Xbox, is like, hey, it made me curious about Game Pass. Well, I noticed that if you subscribe to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate for the first time, it's a dollar a month for the first three months. So I'm like, Yakuza like a dragon, let's fucking go. (laughs) Oh, did you do it? Did you pull the trigger? Yep. Nice. How is it? I don't know. I've only played like an hour. <laughs> no, I meant I meant Game Pass. How's Game Pass? Uh, I don't know. I only popped it in for an hour. <laughs> it's cheap. <laughs> That's enough. all that matters to me at that point. What did you think of like the like? Did you go through some of the selection once you signed up? Or yeah, like, I took a look. Of, to like, I installed a couple of games along with it, but I mean, it's mm-hmm. more on the lines of like stuff that I absolutely want to play. It's not a whole lot. I get the feeling that like. From whenever I've seen, like, because I go to, like, Reddit for, like, all my game deals and stuff, and they'll always Mm -hmm. pop up when Xbox Game Pass announces its new set of games. And usually there's, like, one that I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I'd love to play that. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, otherwise, it's like, okay, if I have time, maybe I'll get around to that or whatever else. You know, it's not going to cost me much. And if I miss out, I miss out. So that seems to be Game Pass in a nutshell for me. It's like, okay, every time they put a new set in, there's probably one game that I'm like, ooh, I'd really like to get my hands on that. And then everything else is like, well, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah, this is something that I was kind of thinking about as well, is that do these systems, like, does th- do things like PlayStation Plus and Game Pass, like, does it really suit the hardcore, you know, gamer fan base? And I And I say that, you know, not to sound snobbish or anything, but I mean, I think a lot of people like us and probably the people who are listening a lot of us buy our games, you know, when they first come out or like we don't like we typically we don't sit and wait for games like it's we're an industry and we're technically like a bit of a fan base that for the most part, like we want to play it as soon as it comes out. And so 
I look at things like PlayStation Plus and they've got fantastic games on there, like Uncharted and um, Ratchet and Clank. Like they've got those games from the PS4, even new games that come out on PS Plus. And unless it comes out day and date, like day one, it doesn't really work for me because I've already got the games that I want. I've already gotten them. So it's like it highlights those like gems that maybe I've missed or not looked at. But it's kind of in that weird place. And I think maybe Game Pass is right in doing, you know, everything or most things are day one. Is that how you're kind of feeling it as well? Like, I suppose, because I mean, again, like if you're going to tell me that instead of paying $80 right off the bat, I can just pay this $16 like monthly subscription and I happen to get these and anything else that's still sitting there. It's not a bad deal. I mean, worst case scenario, I don't have to worry about pre-ordering ever again for anything that's on Xbox Game Pass because I can try it for a much more reduced price. And if it sucks, oh, well, I'll f- I'll play any of the like other hundred things on there at the time. Because yeah. it also gives you the chance to try stuff out. There was a game, because I haven't, this isn't the first time I've used Game Pass. There was a game called CrossCode that was, I think, still on there, actually. And it was essentially like what you would get if you took like a secret of mana added parkour elements and just really like hammed it up for parkour you know this this generation of gaming and i went into it being like ah this might be something cool to do and ended up being like one of my favorite games that year so sometimes you know at least it gives you the chance when you know that you don't have to put another dollar on top of what you're already paying you can try stuff because you're like well worst case scenario i don't like it and i move on to something else because it's the same with PlayStation Plus. I've seen people bitch like, oh, why is it these games this month? Those suck. I'm like, hey, try them. If you don't like them, didn't cost you a thing. You were going to pay for this thing anyway because you're hoping to God that Spider-Man gets thrown on for free one month. Like, you're you're almost playing a gaming lottery when you when you get these uh, these subscriptions. So, like, what's what's the chance or what's the problem with, you know, taking a chance on something? Well, I think the one thing that Game Pass is doing now, and it, we saw this with the Xbox showcase, is that a lot of those games are day one on Game Pass. And so for, you know, those who want to play it day one, they're not having to make a decision of, do I drop the cash or do I wait for it to come to Game Pass? They don't have to make that decision where you're talking about people saying, oh, I'm waiting for Spider-Man to come on, you know, PlayStation Plus. That's going to be years. And if you're, if you really want to play that game, you're not going to wait for it to come to PlayStation Plus. The people that are going to pick that up are the ones who, for whatever reason, are like, nah, I'm not sure if I like Spider-Man, I'm going to sit on wait for it. And then when it comes free, I'll give it a shot. But I feel like those big titles, Game Pass is going to come out on top in terms of getting people to make that switch as a substitution for traditionally buying games where I don't think PlayStation Plus does. Well, I mean, the hope at least for, you know, how I feel about gamers in general is that ideally this will reduce pre-orders because uh, I think pre-orders need to be tapered back a lot i think people put way too much money down for maybes and usually a lot of these maybes end up being s like Mm -hmm. i've seen like so many occasions and it's happened to me a couple of times mass effect andromeda cyberpunk you know it's it's happened Mm -hmm. and i also am very cautious when i pre-order so i can only imagine what it's like for somebody who's probably pre-ordering like double digits worth of games every year and yeah, you're going to get a bunch of them day one that you're probably going to like no matter what, but you're also getting some that you're going, well, great, now I've even taken it back and tried to sell it. I'm going to get maybe like 60% of my money back now. Speaking of pre-orders, we actually have the list of the top 10 GameSpot pre-orders, or at least Adam does. And I thought we could kind of go through and see what kind of games resonated with uh, the E3 audience over the past week and see what the top 10 
GameSpot pre-orders were. Now, Adam, do you have the list pulled up? I do. All right. So what I was thinking we could do is we could do this sort of as a family feud style situation. So we'll do top five answers on the board. I'll get. I'll try to take some guesses at it. Oh no! I'll, I'll, I'll be it. nice. I'll give you the full ten. Oh, I'm gonna get the full ten. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give three. you. I'll give, see how many you can get. All right, I'm gonna try and guess and see if I can guess where they rank on there. Uh, I'm gonna guess number one, and I'll get three wrong. I mean, answers, you're, you're shooting for answers. the number one anyway, so yeah. So number one, Starfield. <laughs> Damn it! Not even, not even on, not the, even list, on eh? the board. Oh man, what a bad start! Game okay. pass, bro. That's true. Oh shit, I forgot about that. All right. He just wasted. Uh, See, he did the first buzz, ten answers on the board, and he just whiffed it. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pass or play. Uh, I'm gonna say number. I'm gonna guess Battlefield is on that list. Uh, what? Okay. He, oh, I can see I the have, sweat coming now. I am not doing well here. Oh man, can uh, he go over three? I'm trying to remember now if Breath of the Wild pre-orders went live. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Breath of the Wild. Uh, Damn it. Oh, man. that I did much worse than I thought. This entire I bit has now gone to absolute shit. <laughs> and that was an unintentional rhyme, and I'm kind of proud of it now. Look at you, little MC over here. All right, Adam, let's go through from 10 to 1. So, What's number 10? You're going to notice a trend in this as we go up the list, but uh, number 10 is Pokemon Legends Ar- Arceus. Okay. Number number nine, uh, Madden NFL 22, because of course. Wasn't even at E3. <sighs> this one I feel sad for people for because I've seen the game footage of it now and it looks awful. Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance. Yeah. If any, it, Seriously, if any of you were interested in that game... Go find some of the early review footage that's been given of it. It looks like a really bad indie game in alpha still. It looks rough. Well, I think some reviews have already been out. I know I was listening to like um, ACG was doing a review on it and it was kind of mixed. Yeah, it's it's not been looking good. The uh, the the various subreddits I follow have not been kind to it. So that's not a good Mm. sign. Uh, number seven, Far Cry 6. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Number six, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought that one would be higher. Uh, I don't know if this means this is four and five, because there's only nine on the list, but technically it's ten titled, but, uh, we'll just say four and five are Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Okay. Number three, Mario Golf. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Number two, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. Hmm. And number one on the board, Metroid Dread. Oh, so yeah. you'll notice the trend that if you count both Diamond and Pearl, the top five pre-orders are all Switch games. If that doesn't tell you what Game Pass is possibly doing for pre-orders, I think you know now. Because yeah. Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, Far Cry 6, Dungeons and & Dragons, and Madden are the only four games that... I don't know. I think I think Guardians of the Galaxy might even be on Switch. I think maybe Dungeons and Dragons is as well. But like, at worst, four out of ten of the top pre-orders right now and at GameStop stores is Switch games. Yeah, and I think that speaks not only to the fact the effect of Game Pass, which I do think is going to limit the sales of Xbox games, but I think it also speaks to the fact that we talked about is that 
if you're gonna buy a Nintendo game, there's no point in buy like if you're gonna buy a Nintendo game, you might as well buy it day one. There's really nothing to be gained by buying it six months or a year later, unlike things like Xbox or PlayStation games, which tend to lose their value. Nintendo, for better or worse, the games retain their value, so there's no reason to wait in terms of dropping the cash. At most, you'll save twenty bucks. Yeah, for sure. I go ahead. Oh, I was is just gonna say like Again, it makes perfect sense when you really think about it. I mean, now with and and also it's it's notable too that none of those seem to be like PlayStation Core games because everybody's waiting for the PlayStation experience or whatever that may be. We'll get into that as we get further in the show. But like at this point, everything is either Switch games or multi-platform. In some cases, a lot of them are probably like maybe PC pre-orders or for codes because I know I know GameStop has tried to figure out a way to get some of that PC gaming stuff going. So they, they've put their hand in there to see what happens. But otherwise, yeah, it's 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 pretty clear now that like most most gamers now are pre-ordering for Switch because, well, what else are they going to do? And especially as we complained when we talked about Nintendo during E3 this year, you know, sure, like there's a lot of games that they're announcing. But realistically, if you're like an average Nintendo gamer, you're probably looking at that list being like, okay, maybe there's like one or two things for the rest of the year that I'm like really excited for, and the rest are like a bunch of maybes. So it's mm-hmm. you almost feel like you have to pre-order the games to make sure you get them because it might be the the few things that you're really going nuts for this year. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think it has more to do with the fact of the retention of the value. Like there's no incentive to wait with Nintendo games. And for better or worse, I mean it is also a detriment of the Switch in that the games don't go down in price that but I think it also helps with getting that first order kind of thing. Adam, where do you fi- fall in general on pre-ordering? What's your what's your pol- what's your personal policy on pre-ordering and what what do you think of it? I have a very strict rule set because of the many times I've been burned. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking it has to fall into two categories. It's either one a game that I know that no matter what happens I'm going to enjoy it in some aspect because I'm going to get some play out of it. Or two, it's got to be a license that I have a lot of trust in. Now granted, that's backfired on me, but I still keep to that because I mean, if you can't trust anything, then what are you doing trying to buy games? Like, you got you got to at least, like, open yourself up to at least some level of trust with companies. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a market. It's still any company can come back and get you. I mean, we've obviously learned that with CD Projekt Red. We learned that with BioWare. It's happened. However, mm-hmm. you know, if you go in pessimistic for every single thing that you do, I mean, it basically kind of takes away the whole fun and being hyped up for anything. So, I mean, at that point, exactly. what do you do? And also, like, I find that more often than not, if I pre-order stuff, it's generally games that I know, because I've been on this planet for 33 years and have probably been playing games for more than half of that time. Yeah. I have a pretty good sense now of what I'm going to like going in. So it's it's really rare that I make a big mistake on pre-ordering something. Like Andromeda, I was more disappointed and I just put it down. I didn't play it for a while. And Cyberpunk, honestly, I would have played through if it just wasn't as buggy as it was. If it just was a little bit better, I could have dealt with it. But because of the crashing and just the severely, like, obvious visual bugs, I'm just like, man, I can wait. And if it wasn't for Sony offering the free refunds digitally, I probably, if I had a physical copy, because I was supposed to, I pre-ordered on Amazon, but then they said I wasn't going to get it till the Friday instead of the, or... I can't remember if it was a Tuesday or a Friday release, but I wasn't going to get it on time. Mm-hmm. So I said, screw it. I may be losing like 15 bucks because I got it on a sale price, but screw it. I'll pony up 15 bucks, get a day one digitally. So, I mean, I would have had a physical copy. would have had to deal with it for however long, but didn't have to. So 
And now it's back on the store. It's now, I think, a little bit cheaper than when it than it first launched. I think it's now sitting at sixty dollars instead of seventy US. Yeah, that makes sense. But either way, like I'm still at that point that I want to see the next gen patch. But granted, like again, like I said, if I didn't hate it, it could have been something that I would have dealt with. So I never really had that like I've been so burned that I like hated the game that I played. It was more just like it was not the what I remember from like either Witcher 3 when it came to Cyberpunk or the previous Mass Effect trilogy in Andromeda where I had like that expectation of, okay, this is going to be at least an eight or better. And then I got Andromeda and went, that's eh, fine. And then I played Cyberpunk and be like, well, it seems like it's actually pretty fun, but it's jank as shit, so I can't play it. Yeah, for me, the one the one pre-order that I got burned on the most, I've bought a, and this will go into, this will lead into where I'm going with mine sort of criteria i got a collector's edition of the order 1886 that came with like a little statue of like sir galahad and stuff and it looks sick as hell i was gonna say you better like that statue because that's about all you were liking i mean and to be honest it wasn't actually that bad because i think it was like ten dollars more than like the regular edition of the game or whatever so for me i being a, a through and through sony fanboy i typically will pre-order sony ip games and it's typically because i'm buying the collector's edition so i've bought like i'm just looking at the collection i've got like horizon zero dawn uncharted last of us like i know with sony parties sony party games that they're not going to disappoint um i'm generally gonna like them and so and they're usually hard to get like usually the reviews come out and i know like i picked up the god of war one and it was the, the guy said like we can't even keep these in stock uh, I had a Last of Us one, and like those ones were, I've seen them on Kijiji for crazy amount of money for them. So like those are ones where they are legitimate. Oh yeah, there's the uh, <laughs> there's the image of the uh, Order eighteen eighty six. God, what an awesome game with like so much potential that was just not met. Like I mean, such I, a cool I idea. played a little bit of it at a friend's house, and I went, nah, it's okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Like the thermite gun is probably the coolest gun in that game, but. As a concept, it was pretty awesome. And honestly, I think if this was like tail end of PS4's lifespan, this could have been better because again, it's like, I've said it so many times too when it comes to next-gen consoles, and we've said this before when we were, I I think we might have talked about this like early on in Mm -hmm. our show, but like next-gen is always a little bit weird the first couple of years when it comes to games. Like, yeah, there's still going to be some really good gems, but like, there's going to be a few people that make some games that are really trying to see what the hardware can do. And sometimes it makes the gameplay suffer because they're trying to push the limit. I generally say, and I, I, it's been years since I've played it, but I generally feel like the graphics of that game hold up to like anything that's that came out in the end of the PS4 generation. Yeah, I can agree with the that. Thi- the thing that really held down that game was the gameplay and that it was a lot of like quick time events and, a lot of weird things like that. Yeah, the gameplay it, it really did feel like a poor man in Gears of War, you know? A hundred percent. So, um, so yeah, so for me, like, pre-orders, I go with those collector's editions just because they are actually rare and you do need to reserve those ones. I'm not going to pre-order an Assassin's Creed, you know, game or anything like that uh, just because they're a dime a dozen and there's not really any incentive. That being said, I will pre-order a game, you know, a couple days before it comes out uh because like you usually get like those free skins or all that kind of crap and if i'm gonna buy the game anyways i might as well get that free stuff and not to mention too by then you've probably heard a couple of things that might have gotten you off the trail by now exactly so i'm not gonna pre-order a game you know 
a year out because I don't know what that is. But, you know, if a couple days before you're starting to hear people say like, hey, this game's good. The reviews are coming out. It's good. I'll give EB a game. EB Games a call and say, hey, you know, I'll take a pre-order for this so I can get those bonuses. The other time I used to do it, I used to do. Do you remember when like Amazon used to do E3 sales? Yes. And like, and it was like 20 or 30% off like the, the list price if you ordered yep. within that week. I was buying games like basically a game got announced and I was just buying it right there because like there that was the best time to get it because you were getting basically a discounted price and you were always able to cancel it. So I don't know. I know a lot of people are always like, don't pre-order, don't pre-order. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with pre-ordering. Just don't pre-order and then commit to buying it just because you pre-ordered it. And that's sort of... I would just make the argument, don't pre-order just after a trailer hits. Like... Mm-hmm. The game, yeah, especially like, if the game's not coming out for like twelve months, why are you putting any sort of money down early? Yeah, like yeah, wait and see, wait and see, like what's going on in terms of, um, you know, how the game's getting made. Like, if anybody pre-ordered Hogwarts Legacy, if that's even possible, why would you do that? You haven't even seen what the game looks like yet. But I know people yeah. have done that. Yeah, because I, I can't even think. Like, there's one game I was thinking of that was like legitimately hard to get, but I can't remember which one it was. But like. Nine times out of ten, when the game gets released, there is enough copies for anyone who wants one. So it's not like you have to. Not to mention, unless you're like your... really beholden to getting a physical copy, digital exists now. You don't even have to think about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a collector like that, so I want that physical copy. Um, but I mean, there is something like, and I because I think that uh, Sony is pretty strict in Draconia with like because you if you download the game, you can't return it, right? Generally speaking, yeah. So like for me, yeah, it doesn't make sense necessarily to go with a digital pre-order, but for the physical one, I can, I can kind of see the argument for that. I don't know. Adam, are you on the same page? What do you think? I say just don't pre-order unless you know for sure it's something you want. Cause I know, yeah. and, and this, and this goes to mostly like younger gamers, because I think most of us at our age kind of at least understand it. Cause we're in our thirties. We, we, we've been around the block long enough. But like we're old, we get it. If you're if you're in like tail end, like you're finally getting some income, you got a job, like you're in tail end of high school, like dude, you can do so much with sixty to eighty dollars, depending on where you are. In the, so actually, if you're in Australia, you're really screwed. That's probably more like one hundred and twenty. But uh, <laughs> you you can do so much better with the money that you have instead of just putting it towards a maybe, because you can still get the game at launch more often than not. Especially now that we're getting out of the pandemic soon, most of us. So you're gonna be able to go to physical stores again. So. You can wait. I mean, if you have a lot of money and you're older and you can make these decisions and you're kind of confident that you're not going to like, you know, get yourself too out of sorts. Sure. Fine. But if you, if, if you really want to go ahead and do it, but like, I, I see a lot of young people get really caught up in the hype and I, not even like, I guess, you know, young people, we still have people our age and some even older that so somehow get caught in that hype train because they're easily susceptible, I guess. It's just like, guys, a trailer does not mean you need to get this game right away. Like you need a little more information. Like, like I said, the few times I pre-order, it's always stuff that I've extensively looked at. I've seen gameplay of, I've seen trailers of, I've looked at interviews. Like I've gotten a pretty good sense. Like it's from a company that I trust. It's a kind of game that I'd be interested in playing. It's something that looks like it's, it's up my aesthetic pleasing like lane. Like everything is checking boxes. Not just, oh, I thought the trailer looked really good and then I stopped caring about it for the next 12 months. And it seems uh, like we're term- getting better, but, you know, it can yeah. always get better. I mean, it's always going to be there. In terms of what's on those pre-order lists, 
are you surprised that Xbox isn't on there? Or do you think that was this kind of to be expected with Game Pass? Like anything major, like say a Halo Infinite or a Starfield? Yeah. No, yeah, like I thought I'm there'd not be at least some. At all. Yeah. To be honest, because I mean, now that Game Pass exists, like why? That, and and that's kind of the, the, the risk that Microsoft's going to take with this system is that like, if you have any sort of ounce of brain power going on in your head and you're an Xbox gamer, you're looking at this being like, why would I ever buy a new game unless I desperately want a physical copy or like a collector's edition? Because Game yeah. Pass tells you, hey, for like a fourth of the price, you get this day one. No, you don't have to leave your house. And if you don't even like this one thing, there's a hundred other things you can grab. Why would you ever spend, in our case, $80 for a physical copy of a maybe? When for a fraction of that price, you can try it. And if you don't like it, you don't worry. Seems yeah. like a pretty easy decision. I mean, as a guy who doesn't even own an Xbox, now I have Game Pass. And if I look at my credit card statement and it says, oh, $16 for this thing, it'd be like, oh, I played one game this month. Ah, it was 16 bucks. Yeah, it's totally worth it. I bought one game for $40 this month and, I, and I've even started playing that yet. So. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's move on. Uh, do you want to switch over to PlayStation or Dead Space? Let's have some fun before we uh, before we we talk about the completely randomness that might be the PlayStation event. So let's have some fun with EA. All right. Dead Space. Dead Space Maybe. may not be so dead after all. So this is coming from James Carr at GameSpot. He writes, uh, EA is reportedly reviving Dead Space with Motive Studio developing the game. As reported by Gamatsu, Motive is supposedly developing a reimagining, in quotes, uh, of the original Dead Space games, and EA plans to reveal the game during EA Play Live on July 22nd. The rumor originated from GameBeat's Jeff Grubb, who said on GameBeat's Decides podcast that Motive Studios is working on a dormant EA IP to be revealed at the presentation in July. After that, the story was picked up by VGC and Eurogamer reported hearing similar rumors. According to Gamatsu, the Dead Space revival is being developed by Moto Studios, which previously made Star Wars Squadrons. EA Motive had previously been working on a project codenamed Gaia, but it was cancelled after six years in development. The new Dead Space is set to be a reimagining of the story and not a direct sequel to the original trilogy. Uh, goes on later to say it is important to know that this is just still a rumor that motive studios is working on a dead space revival. Nothing has been officially announced and we won't know if it's true or not until EA play live happens. Adam top question. How accurate is it? Or what do you think the chances are that motive is making a dead space game? Well, when EA came out and said that they were basically bringing like some franchise back from the dead, essentially, um, Given the kind of games that they're making today, it kind of really limits what that is, to be honest. Because there are a lot of things like they could bring back, but realistically speaking, like you're not going to go out of your way and bring back something like horribly weak. You're not going to bring something that you know clearly is going to take a bunch of a bunch of money, a bunch of time into something that like wouldn't be too crazy. Like you can go through a couple of things. Like is Army of Two going to get brought back? I don't think no. so. Is Command and Conquer going to get brought back? Probably not God, because so. they just they decided to ruin people with a mobile game and I think they've pissed away anything they had left with that. To be honest though, like if you look at it, like I'm just going to interrupt. I know you're going to kind of go through a couple lists here, but like 
bringing something like Command and Conquer, like if you look at what Motive does, Motive basically has made Star Wars Battlefront and they've made Star Wars Squadrons. So like they're not going to switch over to an RTS. It's not their wheelhouse. Like no. I know they're developers and they can kind of build whatever, but they're going to stick within a certain parameter. Yeah. Sorry, so continue. So, I mean, like, they, well, none of you mentioned that, too. That takes a couple of things off the list, too. Because, I mean, like, how many old... Like, they're not going to make a Fight Night game. That'd be pretty weird. They're mm-hmm. not going to do, like, any, like, sort of, like, Metal... Well, actually, Medal of Honor might be a possibility. That that would be, a, like, a sort of possibility. It fits in with the wheelhouse. But, I mean, but like, there's something else a- on the side. Like, there's... There's a couple that, like, personally, I would love to get, which I think we were going to ask that question at some point later, so I'll save those. We were getting to that, yeah. Generally speaking, like, when you really think about it, what have they done so far? Shooters or piloting, still shooting stuff, and it's always been space-based. And it's been, and it's also that's That's basically Dead Space kind of is, like, the obvious pick right there, unless Medal of Honor is going to do a futuristic thing. But it has also always typically been PvP, in the sense, if you think of Battlefront, and if you think of um squadrons like they do have a single player campaign but they're predominantly meant to be well i mean they also were i don't know like who worked on specifically the campaign it might have been motive because they were in collaboration Mm -hmm. with dyson criterion so Mm -hmm. i i don't know personally because i I haven't looked into that but like somebody did the single player stuff and if that happens to be motive well maybe the possibility of something single player specific still grants them that Mm -hmm. not to mention i don't think it's that hard to suddenly go from making a game for 20 people at the same time or however many it is in battlefront to suddenly be like, here's one, like it, it limits, yeah. it gives you a chance to a limit the perspective you have to go to, but also open up how much else you can do with it. So I think it gives a company a chance to be a little bit more free. And since motive really hasn't had a chance to like really spread their wings yet, maybe taking on something that people would like really like to see come back, gives them a chance to really like show stuff and dead space would be like, again, would be a pretty damn good license to, take a crack at because that's something that has a lot of room for some crazy wacky stuff so yeah did you ever play dead space i tried a little bit of the original game but i'm also a bit of a bitch when it comes to horror games so i'm not i'm not great with it i actually really did like it a lot though but like i said like i can only take so many jump scares before i'm like this isn't fun anymore why am i why am i spending my time like having nightmares when my imagination is a really good for that as it stands i don't need like somebody else to help my brain have more imagery to take to me in my dreams every night yeah i never played it either um when i lived back in my apartment there was a guy who lent me his copy i never got around to playing it and then i moved and i realized i still had his copy so guillermo if you're listening i'm really sorry i still have your copy of dead space reach out to me and i can get it back to you if you want so uh no i need to uh get out and i i, I would like to try it i know it's something that people have loved and it's been asked for so like do i think it's gonna happen i'd say yes like one of those like if if one person says something okay but like we're hearing from multiple people saying that they've heard this so like where there's smoke there's fire so i would say it's probably going to be the case where it is a reimagining of dead space i don't know what that means though like it is it reimagining that dead space is gonna look more like dead space 3 because people aren't gonna like that it really it really depends like when i hear reimagining my thing goes okay so maybe it's like it's it's just taking the taking the story and just like being it's not isaac anymore it's just its own thing now like they're just it's like it's like hitting the reset button because mm. i think people will hear sequel and be like oh so they can still do stuff in the currents like no they can completely bullshit like oh they've we've moved to like another galaxy and we're doing stuff here now and it's just another horror game in space. Like you don't have to necessarily keep it in the same like realm of, of where the last 
three games were that I think reimagining is more just like, Hey, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to use the concept and then just kind of run with it with our own like vision for it. Yeah. So, yeah. So if it's not going to be dead space, like let's, let's assume that it's not going to be dead space. What would you like either want it to be, or what do you think it could be? The one that immediately jumps up to me and I don't know where it falls now. Cause I know like we've heard a bunch of different things, but if I recall, Simpsons Hit and Run was originally published by EA, and I think it kind of fits within Motive's wheelhouse. Open world environment, you know, you're doing vehicu- like vehicular like movement. I think that fits right up Motive's thing, so it's a long dormant IP that people have been clamoring for. I would say probably just as much as Dead Space. What do you think of that? Do you think there's a chance that Simpsons hit and run? Well, do I think there's a chance? No. Would I love it? Absolutely. I mean, how many people have been asking for forever for a remastered version of of the original mm-hmm. game, right? So, yeah. But I mean, uh, like, do, of... do I do I think it's something that would actually happen? I I can't see it. Mm-hmm. What? So what would be? Let's let's go through. What are some of the other ones that you would wish that you could see? What what sort of dormant IPs would you? Well, want there, to there's there's the one that would be the most possible. Like okay, sorry, not plausible because nothing I have is going to fit within the parameters of what Motive's been doing so far. So I'm just throwing mm-hmm. like absolute. Like, yeah, yeah. This is just I'm throwing like thinking. the massive like flaw like hail mary on these two. But mm-hmm. like, I'd love to see an SSX game again. Yeah, I have that on my list as well. Like. I still, I still like cannot believe, especially when Steep came out and nobody got the idea. It's like, hey, like this is kind of like a really poor man's version of what SSX used to be. Why don't we like, why don't we, why don't we show them how it's done? I can't believe that EA Sports Big just disappeared because though that was the best era when it came to sports mm-hmm. games. I know a lot of people like the simulation stuff, but like I think you can have both. I think you can have the simulation. You can have the arcade. I miss your NBA, your FIFA streets, your NHL hits, your NFL blitzes. Um, Then you get into things like obviously SSX. Uh, There's even like another one that's kind of like an aside. You know, I I think EA Sports Big was part of this too. The Def Jam uh, video games. So there's Def Jam Vendetta for, I believe that would have, this was PS2 era. And then you also had Fight for New York. We don't talk about Icon. That's that doesn't count. But like Fight <laughs> no. for New York is like one of the best games when it if you're looking for like a good like brawler like fighting game, that's actually like a really underrated game because everybody just assumes ah oh, it's a bunch of rappers. How could could it be, dude? Mm-hmm. That like seriously go back if you if anybody can go back and see like if you don't if you if you can't buy it like go ahead and look at like gameplay footage. I mean I'm gonna try to find some now here, but like. For a game at that time, for what seemed like nothing special, it was really interesting for what it gave. And I mean, obviously, it was like that last bastion for us wrestling fans, too, in terms of like really good wrestling games where it was like actually like fun and not just trying to emulate the same stuff because then it just kind of got really boring. Yeah. And also, yeah, come on, me- you get to you get to kick the crap out of like Snoop Dogg or kick the crap out of people with Snoop Dogg. What can you hate about it? Exactly. No, it was, I remember that game. It was hilarious that it like it was even a thing. It was over the top. Like that was the best part of it. Yeah. See, I go a totally different route when I look at like what I would like to see in terms of dormant IPs coming back. For me, I think the number one that I would like to see is like Mercenaries. I don't know if you ever remember the Mercenaries. Game. I remember of them. I just never played them. Oh man, Mercenaries One on the original Xbox was awesome. Like I remember being 
in university in my dorm playing on this old maybe 19-ish TV that I'd gotten from some guy who was throwing it out and it was my dorm room and I just played the hell out of Mercenaries. And it was this awesome game. You're basically in this... You're, I think you were in North Korea and you were just going around collecting... You know, It was very much like ahead of its time because like Ghost Recon Wildlands ended up doing something very similar was just here you have like a deck of cards of VIPs that you have to collect and you're going around and just doing that. You can you get money for everything you do, like, you know, taking out guys, getting them, you make money. And then you can just drop that and get, you know, basically you got like a Jeep dropped in front of you to go do these missions or like air bombs or whatever. It was awesome. And I remember loving that. And the fact that that kind of went dormant, just think of like just cause meets ghost Recon wildlands. And that's sort of what you have with mercenaries. And I think that was, I don't think the second one was as good or as well received. And I think that's what killed the franchise, but it was an awesome series. Uh, sticking in that vein, the other one I'd like to see is the Saboteur. Did you ever oh, play the Saboteur? I forgot about the Saboteur. The Saboteur, I felt like, got. I'm such... shocked that doesn't have a sequel because that game is amazing. It got so it got screwed over so hard. So if you're not familiar with the Saboteur, open world, third person shooter, and you're basically this Irish race car, which is actually based on a true story or like loosely based on a true story. Uh, and you're basically in Paris going around liberating liberating Paris from Nazi rule. And what was neat about this game is it kind of felt a little bit like Assassin's Creed. Like you can kind of do stealth and stuff, wear, you know, costumes and sneak in and infiltrate places. Or you could just go in guns blazing like a like a Grand Theft Auto sort of game. But what was neat is that if you were in like occupied Nazi territory, the game was all black and white. And then if you liberated it, it became all colorful. It was an awesome game that I think I think Pandemic, who was the developer, they got um, closed down just before the game got launched. And I feel like this was an awesome game and it had so much room to grow. And I feel like it kind of got screwed over. It, it was janky at times, but it was an awesome game that I think I think would do really well if it came back. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think like there is that clamoring, too, that like people want to have something they, they, they're still a clamoring for like World War II era games, but they want something that isn't just your typical first person shooter Call of Duty like clone, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I would love something, and the Saboteur would be a pretty interesting way of doing it, but like, have you ever seen the show on Amazon, uh, The Man in the High Castle? Yes. Like, something yeah. akin to that, like having like a really good story of like Nazis winning the war kind of stuff. I think that's always such a really good concept. I remember there was a game called like Turning Points Sky of Li- Skies of Liberty that tried to do it and did a f- yeah. freaking horrendous job of it. Yeah, like, it wasn't great. Like the Saboteur is probably the best possible like open world, you know, I get I guess like a game that kind of addressed like the Nazis like I don't, I can't remember if the story was like they had taken over so much as it was like in the midst of like, you know, them encroaching into France. Not, no, I think I, I can't like, remember if it was like they won or it was a they're in the process of like taking it over. Well, I think it's one of those. It wasn't necessarily like alternate universes where they like took it over and they like held it or whatever. But it was like it was kind of at the peak of the war. They had already captured Paris and because there was like guard towers and encampments and stuff. So like they had managed to capture it and fortify it and sort of subjugate the, the city. But it wasn't like an alternate history sort of scenario either. So yeah, it was it was really well done, and I felt that that game that game definitely deserves a sequel or at least even a reimagining. But I think you're right. You know, I think we're still like World War II has so many interesting stories that we still haven't told, and to just kind of do like the Normandy landings or whatever, it, it's kind of 
tired but i think if you look at those smaller stories you can really get some neat ideas out of it not to mention so. if if they were to redo this like the you can really push like the graphic fidelity theme especially when you have these sections where like it's so black and white and then the second the color comes in and just how hmm. unbelievable that would just look in that in that sort yeah. of a deal like man like it looked great then and can you only imagine it now with like the way that things are today it'd just be so much more of a visual just absolute like eye destroyer just in how beautiful it would change and that game has a really interesting opportunity because it does have that it does have an artistic style that you don't necessarily need to go for photorealism but you could if you wanted to so it has a lot of room for creativity in that sense yeah um last one for me and i'm not advocating that this is a good game i know it kind of like it came at that weird stage where everything was gray and shooters with multiplayer but I'd like to see syndicate come back and, and I didn't play it that much, but like the lore and the idea of syndicate always intrigued me. Like the idea that, you know, corporate wars and, you know, cyberpunk kind of environment. Like, I think that would be a really cool idea. And I think it would lend credence to what motive can do. Now, was syndicate EA? It, I think it was. Yeah. Like not syndicate, the, the RTS, but like the sequel that was in like 2000, whatever trying to remember now oh yeah it was that tells you how much yeah that one completely passed me by oh it totally passed me by too like it did not review well like it was basically sort of in that thing where everything was a first person shooter everything had um you know a multiplayer component it was not well regarded but it's such an interesting environment like i've talked before that i'm a sucker for cyberpunk stuff i legitimately don't remember this thing it was like basically the end of the like aughts. I'm pretty sure like Skrillex did like the the um did the the, the soundtrack. So I'm getting. Distracted I mean, it's 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 this. easy to tell how it got lost because it looks like every game that ever existed at that point. A hundred percent, yeah. And it came in at the tail end, so we were all kind of burnt out on this style of game. But I feel like I don't know. I I'm wondering if there's a resurgence in cyberpunk stuff between actual cyberpunk and you know you've got things like um. Oh, what was that one? Is it called Ghost Wire? Where you're like the ninja samurai thing? Like, I feel like there's a resurgence coming back. Oh, Ghost Runner? Something. Ghost Runner, thank you. That's what the one it is. Um, so I feel like there might be a resurgence for it, and this could be something that at least Motive would lend well to. But this is definitely not happening, but I'd love to see this kind of... Well, if, if we're going to go full-blown Hail Mary, let's get Theme Hospital back in there. <laughs> let's go <laughs> full enough. Hail Mary. Like, let's, let's break out the I DeLorean th- to go back in time and try to get, like, the old, like... I think that was, like, 90s. Yeah. Hey, I was just throwing out that that's the one I that's you know, that's my wish list. Like so I think More importantly, I think I we're to... just remembering like just how many things died in the wake of EA, because you know, EA just can't help themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like I kind of feel like maybe maybe EA's starting to turn the ship a bit. Um, just in the sense that I'm thinking of some of the games that I've played from EA. So I'm thinking Star Wars Squadrons, I'm thinking Oh, there it is. I miss it. So I miss some, I miss Theme Hospital so much. I played that so much as a kid, even though I was garbage at it. So many people yeah. died on my watch. That's why you don't get me to run a hospital. That's what games are for. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's a trial. Um, no, so but for me, like I, I think of like the games that EA is coming out with because EA did Titanfall two, which had good reviews, but like kind of didn't pan out well. Um, but it also did, you know, Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order. It did Squadrons, like, and I mean, it kind of, it got 
slapped hard for Battlefront 2, but like it did kind of write the ship as much as it can. So I wonder if maybe we're at a turning point for what EA is going to be. Am I crazy? Am I wishful thinking? Or do you think it's, are you seeing? I mean, I mean, if you're asking if, if I think you're crazy, I mean, we're all crazy. So. Sorry. Is that opinion crazy? No, I don't, I don't think any opinion's crazy. It's just more along the lines of like, what's rational for EA and what's not. I mean, really any of the things that we really have, we really want, like you have to ask the simple question, is it going to make EA a shit ton of money and can they microtransaction the hell out of it? Oh, but I, that's what I'm asking. Do you think that EA is slightly moving back from that microtransaction strategy as a result of what happened with Battlefront 2? Unless in the West we make it, we put laws on it the way that some countries in Europe are doing? Nah. It'll be interesting to see. They'll pick certain games to do it, and then they pick certain ones that won't. They'll still yeah. do it in every game, it just won't be as egregious in some because they want to put people off the trail and that it's not every game. Well, we will find out in a month or so what this rumored project is going to be. Speaking of rumors and things that are dead, let's uh, wrap it up with the last story of the day. Is PlayStation Experience back? So this is coming from Wired Up Report. I didn't have an author for this one. Um, Sony Interactive Entertainment, SIE, registered the trademark PSX. On June 11th, 2021, the trademark is related to creating, organizing, and conducting exhibitions and conferences in the field of entertainment and video games. Based on, and that's the end of the quote, based on official information shown by the registration body used. Of course, it's easy to think this is a new PlayStation experience. As always, we remind you that Sony has not announced any type of event for the moment and that this recording uh, may, be not, may not be linked to upcoming events. In any case, this is a suspicious situation given that it takes place in the post-E3 2021 period and that multiple rumors point the fingers towards a new PlayStation conference. Adam, does PlayStation Experience live? Uh, I mean... In stream form, maybe. I don't know if we're going to talk about like a physical like convention. You don't think so? I don't know. It depends on... I don't know if they'll be the first ones to do it. Because like, I've seen people be like, oh, they're, they're going to try doing it in December. I'm like, man, I would not want to be the one to try that first and, and just have like a disaster on your hands. I think like... Maybe they register the trademarks, see how E3 goes, see how like the first Gamescom goes, see what PAX looks like if they have one. I think they look at all that. I think PlayStation Experience might be a stream at the end of the year or something again. And then next year they'll see how everybody's doing with, you know, getting back to things normally with all the convention floor stuff. And maybe they'll take a yeah. look at that and be like, hey, like we could probably put a foot forward here and do something. Or they could just be like, nah, it's not worth the trouble. I think yeah. at the very least they're keeping the the patent so that they don't have mm -hmm. to worry about anybody taking it from them again. But I don't know if this means anything so far. I don't know if this is like an automatic, oh, they're going to do something big. I, I don't know if that means anything. I think they're going to. I, I, I think they're just patenting it so that they have it, like you said. I don't think that this would be the year to do it. Like, we're we're getting close to the end of the pandemic, but, like, there's still a lot of who knows what up in the air. Uh, like, you know... I think we all kind of get this false hope just because at least here it's summer. So like cases naturally go down when summer hits what it looks like in the winter. Who knows? Like flu season is the same way. Like flu season always goes down in the summer and then it comes back in the winter. And I am not a scientist or a doctor by any means. Do not take this as like logic, but 
there's still a lot of uncertainty going on right now for you to kind of say, hey, we're going to be doing this massive convention. Like, we don't know what the systems are going to look like, what travel is going to look like. There's a whole bunch of questions up in the air. Do I think Sony's going to do another PlayStation experience? I think so. Like, I think we talked about this yes last week in our podcast about what E3 should become. And I think that this idea of doing a fan-centric show is where you kind of do a big conference. Um, and so I think, yeah, PlayStation experience is coming back. Does it come back this year? Probably not. Probably 2022. Cause like, even at this point, if they'd announce it for December, they have six months to get people all signed up, get everything booked, get everything arranged. And like, that's a lot to do, especially with all the uncertainty that we've been talking about. So, and I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely like a good time for them now, given how many, uh, how many studios they have running in their wares these days. So, mm-hmm. I mean, not to mention, I mean, it's, it's a, they can also bring in third party developers again to show off like core games for their console. But I mean, we haven't seen one since 2017, at least here in the West. I think they mm-hmm. had a couple in, in Asia after that, but I don't think we've seen one since 2017. So there's been some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea. I mean, shit like we're all sitting here being like man if we can get a pass to e3 we'll take that i mean shit if we can get a pass with the sony experience that's that's still a pretty good win for us too so i feel like i feel like we've talked up sony enough that we're probably on the invite list yeah i mean i I keep having blue in this room like sony i can't i can't (laughs) convince you any further can i hey i've got a whole basement dedicated to playstation like i know we're not a playstation podcast but we're kind of sony ponies so we we kind of are i think we kind of are there's there's secretly a sony logo hidden in the black in the in the giant peas in our logo you know so (laughs) yeah yeah really it's just a smoke screen it's really just playstation podcast there so but i mean it's like anything else i i would love to see it come back it's just a matter of does sony think it's worth putting in the money and effort to do it that's the Mm -hmm. big thing because God only knows what happens in the next year, especially when we get back to a sense of normal. Like how many, how many people are going to take a chance on something just because they figure there's going to be this big wave of people. Cause I'm really interested to see what conventions are going to look like in the first 12 months when we're allowed to have them again, because mm-hmm. how many people suddenly put money together because they think that people will have all this like desire to go out and do stuff. So they'll spend mm-hmm. money on so many of these conventions to try to make up for like the 12, 16, 18 months that they've not done anything for. So you mm-hmm. wonder, like, does Jeff Keighley get some get some extra money together and see if they put like Summer Game Fest into an actual like exhibition thing, like a PAX? Like you don't know because there's so many possibilities of people coming out into the open and being like, "Hey, people have been cooped up for a long time. This could be a real good money train for a couple of years if we do if we play our cards right. And even if it's a one and done, like you can probably make some decent money out of it that way. So, yeah, I I don't, I don't think it's it's a bad idea if Sony decides to do it. It's a matter of, do they think it's profitable enough to be worth their time? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's put our corporate, you know, brain thinking hats on and let's, let's pretend that we're Sony sitting in the boardroom right now. You know, they walk up to us and they say, guys, we're building PSX 2.0. What, what does PSX 2.0 look like for you? And it doesn't necessarily have to be like in post pandemic 2021, but like, Let's just assume things go back to normal. Conventions become a thing. Like, what do you want PSX 2.0 to look like? I mean, if I'm putting on my corporate shirt, I'm just saying I don't care. Just fire enough people that I get my bonus at the end. Of okay, the year. you're but you're, you're the in, you're the intern. You're the intern that the corporate guy comes to and says, "Hey, <laughs> make me this convention. What are you doing?" You take a look at what PAX does, and you basically emulate off of that. 
Okay. You don't want to be like E3. You don't want to be over the top and you don't want to be this massive show. Like you want to be a convention that takes the core stuff. You want your stuff to be the focal point. That's what the big showroom's for. You have the big showroom for like your big conference at the end of the year, like like your secondary like E3 press press, you know, conference, whatever the hell you want to do. Cuz like like I said, I'd still love the idea of one in the summer, one in the winter so that way you get like a pretty good fair amount of information out. And then have fun with it. Like open it up to any devs that are that you already have like set up on your console, have them put some demos out, get a chance to, you know, get their product out there, get some merch guys in there, get your sponsorships together, get all your money out that way, get some freaking big names in there, get some YouTube stars, you know, you get those people in there. They do some shows here and there. The fans come in for that. Like you find outlets to get people in the door, but you always keep in mind that your stuff is the focal point. The horizon for like, let's say it's you know none of the games are out that were that are mm-hmm. coming out. You have that horizon forbidden west banner, front line and center, giant Kratos friggin' banner just flying down, like, or just like you know somebody walking around like just constantly yelling boy at people in a fucking Kratos outfit to keep to keep you know boy. thing going. You do all that stuff, and you make it clear as day that this is sony's packs like you basically mm-hmm. want that to be that if you try to be corporate it's going to fail because that's why mm-hmm. e3 has failed for so long so i mean that that's honestly it like i could come up with a bunch of like smaller ideas if you gave me enough time to do it but realistically i would just point to what pax does every year and be like okay that but with our fucking like amount of, of product like our high quality product that yeah i'm totally with you like i think what i would do is yeah you make it like your this is your big e3 event for sony so this is where you do your big you know hour hour and a half convention you have all your fans there um you have the press there you show off the new games that are coming out but then on the show floor you have you know get you have games for people to play you have activities and interactions so you know have panels where you have um you know developers they're talking you, you know you bring like Neil Druckmann out and kind of get him to do like a, a debrief on the last of us or something, or you get, um, you get know, some surprises in there. Find Kevin Butler. See if he'll do a panel. No, they don't talk to him anymore. He's dead to them. So I don't care. Kevin. Make it work. <laughs> um, so like you, you get those, you get those panels, you get those events, you get games for people to play. You do tournaments, you do merch, you do all that kind of stuff. Make it a PlayStation weekend. And then, I like, I think that's where you get people. And then the one thing I think I would do is, you know, have it on a consistent date. But like, I think one of the things that they need to maybe think about doing is I know they used to, I think it was always in, was it like Anaheim that they did it? It was always like in this, I think it was always in California or something like that. And I think that was made sense when it was starting out. But I think what they should do is it should almost become a global thing. So, you know, one year it's in California, one year it's in New York, one year it's in you know, British Columbia, one year it's in London, like kind of have it circle the globe so that, you know, you, your fan base, wherever they are, can kind of engage and get to experience it. So like, I'm not saying do it everywhere at the same time, but have it kind of float around different parts of the world so that different people can kind of experience it. So, or even do like one, like have one in Europe, have one in North America and have one in Asia. But like, I think you really need to make it accessible to the fans and you kind of put the fans first and I think that's something that E3 has kind of forgotten in that they don't realize that I think for the most part, it, it's fans that drive the E3 now. It's not the ESA. It's not retailers. It's not not even journals because they're doing it for us, the, the, you know, the audience. And so I think you're right. I think it needs to become a little bit more of a PAX experience. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the gist of it is you get your stuff out there and you make it fun. Like, that's really it. Like, you don't need to do much mm. else. It really isn't that hard, too, because, I mean, if you've got the if you've got the names there, if you're showing off, like, a new trailer for God of War, or you're doing a big conference, so there might be some surprises, you have some cool games showing up to do some demos and stuff, you really don't have to do much else. You can literally just throw a bunch of, like, random names in there. Say, like, oh, we're bringing in... um this guy who's a famous Twitch guy and he's just going to do a panel about Twitch for an hour and people will show up yeah. to that. Like you don't have to try that hard. No, like there's a ton of PlayStation podcasters out there who you can get in. Um, you know, you get like, like you said, Twitch streamers, you basically, you get even just like figureheads at Sony just coming in there available. Like if you just make it accessible to the players, like I think that's what they need to do. So, and there's so many things you can do as well. Like that are even outside of that. Like MLB, the show is technically still a Sony studio property so all i have to do is be like hey like give um fernando tatis jr a call get a friggin' like sports guy in there that's another kind of audience that suddenly wants to go in there and you get them to take a look mm-hmm. at your products at the same time like there's so many ways using your brand to get people in there not even to mention like there are other outside stuff like you can you can have your own sony booths in there to show off your speakers or your televisions because lord knows you're trying to sell that stuff along with it so like Hell, it's yeah, really just... easy to get so many different people in there for, that isn't just for gaming and suddenly having them in there and also being like, oh, but that thing for PlayStation looks really cool. Maybe I should think about get it, getting my kids a PlayStation or maybe yeah. I should get one. Yeah, you know what? You made a really good point there. Like you have all, you know, your Sony like equipment set up. So like you're playing it on, you know, Sony OLED TVs and suddenly I'm playing God of War on an OLED and I'm like, oh shit, this looks amazing. Much better than what I have at my house. Like, Maybe I should grab this TV when the God of War comes out and then th- I could replicate this experience at my house or whatever. So yeah. I think that's a really good point to like just kind of diversify the, the the stuff that you're doing. Your core is to get people in the door with all the fun stuff and then you sell them. That's literally it. Yeah. You're literally dressing up a trailer and that's what E3 is too. You're dressing up a trailer and an advertisement and then people are gobbling it up. And I think, I, I honestly, I'd love to see it come back. And I mean, I talked about it last week that I think that more of these, you know, developers and publishers need to make customer-centric stuff that engages them. But seriously, I don't care. Time has passed. Bring Kevin Butler back. Those were the best commercials. They were the best commercials. They really were the best commercials. There's nothing that tops that. No. no. And if you don't I, know honestly, what we're talking about, go you, as soon as you're done this podcast, because you're not allowed to finish it until the podcast is over. Yeah. You make sure you go and YouTube search Kevin Butler PlayStation and just watch all of them because they're all good. There's not a bad one. There's not a bad one. And then, and then until you get into Marcus, Marcus is not as good. Yeah, it's not as fun anymore. It's not the no, same. No, you need Kevin Butler. All right, Adam, uh, any closing thoughts on PlayStation experience coming back? Bring back Kevin Butler. <laughs> That's enough, all I we'll got. That. All right, well, then let's wrap it up there. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Pixel Play podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if it's your first time joining us, we hope it was good for you. We know it was good for us. If you're one of our regulars, we really appreciate you sticking around, uh, listening to us. Feel free to like, subscribe if you haven't already. Leave comments. Let us know. What are you hoping to see from EA in terms of its uh, rumored game? Are you excited for the possibility of a PlayStation experience? What kind of games attracted you, got your attention, and are you thinking of pre-ordering for E3 based on everything we talked about? Let us know in the comments below. If you want to reach out to us and uh, chat with us, you could reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at PixelPlayCast. And if you want to submit questions for the show, your opinions, we're happy to read them on the air at PixelPlayPodcast at gmail.com. I've been your host, Kalen, a.k.a. Catastrophe, joined by Adam C.S. Radical. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you guys next week. Bye for now.